NEC Hoops fans, welcome back to the NEC On The Run podcast. My name is Ron Ratner, and I'm joined by Ryan Peters, who you'll find on X at Pioneer underscore Pride. It's time, Ryan. Two weeks left to go in the season. We've hit the home stretch. The standings are in. They're still tiered up, and we have so much to talk about this week after a pretty wild week of NEC basketball. Let's start right at the top. Merrimack made its surge last week. Broke the deadlock with Central Connecticut. Now heading into the final three games of the season for them. Have a one and a half game lead on Central in the standings. Yeah, and they continue to grind out wins, you know, snatching victory from the Jaws of defeat once again, this time at Stonehill. You know, they outscored the Skyhawks 10 to 2 in the final two minutes. And it looked like Stonehill was going to pull off the upset win. Um, but, and it's also the second straight road game where Merrimack's win probability was at 11%. In other words, they were, it was not looking good for them. It looked like they were going to get the L and fall to, you know, nine and three in the conference play, but they figured out a way to win at Stonehill. And, uh, you know, for me, Bud Clark is really becoming one of the, the best players in the NEC. He's a credible candidate for all conference first teamer. And that's really kind of rarefied air for freshmen, but 17 points in the win over LIU and then 29 points in the come from behind victory against Stonehill. I mean, that, that, that go ahead bucket that long mid-range jumper with nine seconds left to pull Stonehill ahead. You almost had that feeling like Stonehill just could not get anything offensively going in the final two minutes, credit the Merrimack zone. And you just had a feeling when Clark was bringing the ball up that he was going to make that shot, and that's exactly what he did. Think about the confidence Joe Gallo has in Bud Clark as a freshman to put the ball in his hand at the end of each game. He did it against LIU the previous mm -hmm. week in overtime. He did it against Stonehill scoring the last six points of that game. How good do you have to be for a coach to just say, here's the keys, let's bring us home? You have to be exceptional. You know, you have to be in that rarefied era. You know, you talk about guys like Marquise Reed and Kane Broom, and you're talking about like the great, uh, you know, freshmen, you know, even last year with Javon Bennett in Merrimack, you know, Gallo trusted him, but he didn't really need as much out of Bennett because he had Jordan Minor and Ziggy Reed and those guys. But now you have a great duo in the backcourt, Bud Clark and Jordan Durkak. Both guys can go get you a bucket in isolation late in the game. That's a huge weapon for Merrimack, you know, because you could now play matchups, right? You could play Durkak on the post against a smaller guard, or you could play Bud Clark in isolation, who's got that smooth mid-range game, who could get a pull-up jumper anytime he wants. So to have that weapon to go along with that Merrimack zone is just lethal for Joe Gallo. Yeah, Bud Clark this week, the NEC co-player of the week. Here's a little tidbit, Ryan. He's just the fifth player in the history of the conference, the fifth rookie to also win player of the week. So when you say rarefied air, it really is. You don't see players... Uh, getting this sort of uh, notoriety. And you're right, having those two weapons at the end of the game is not something that every team has. And you know what? And if, you, if you're going to put all your attention on them, both those guys will dish it off to somebody else, to dish it off to a Tumnu, who will throw it down when they need a yeah. jam, as when they need a bucket as well. Or Devon Savage in the corner for an open right. three, right? Exactly. So, I mean, yep. they have offensively they are just fine maybe there were some questions about Merrimack coming into the year about how many offensive weapons they would actually have and you know they'd have to grind out these wins you know the, if they could hold their opponent to under 60 they got the W now their their offense is humming pretty well because of Bud Clark because of all the guys that we mentioned so as Merrimack finishes they have two of their last three games on the road Central Connecticut still in the mix uh for first place Merrimack is hosted 
a Wiz clinched hosting a quarterfinal home game. They're the only team that's done that so far. But let's look in the next tier in the standings. And I'm staring at them right now. And let's just go. FDU seven and five, Sacred Heart seven and five, Lemoyne seven and five, Wagner six and six. So you're looking at most likely four teams battling for these last for two spots, unless Central was would collapse. Four teams battling for the last two home games heading into the final two weeks. Let's start by taking a look at FDU, which turned things around last week. Uh, sweep, they beat LIU in overtime in an absolutely wild game. And then they hold serve against St. Francis uh, PA, uh, bringing up 93 points at home. Yeah, they lost their first two conference games too, right? And now, before you know it, they've won seven of the last 10. And they are definitely in the conversation to get that first round home game you know they win the dramatic elevator game at LIU and then they just take care of business at you know against St. Francis at home and you know they're the offense is really humming right now in the last two wins they've shot 44 of 84 from two they've had 40 assists to 24 turnovers in those two games and they've gotten to the free throw line 53 times so they're attacking off the bounce they have they have a great jump shooter in Almanor, but they have great guy guys who could really get off the bounce, get downhill, and and finish around the rim. And that's really showing. And we mentioned Almanor, forty points in the two two wins. Emmanuel, twenty seven points, eight assists. You know that's that's unique for a big man. Six steals. He had five thefts against St. Francis. And then Terrence Brown's a, a an emerging freshman. We talk about Bud Clark, but Brown has really stepped up and provided a lot of offensive firepower for Jack Castleberry, 32 points on 21 shots as long as, as well as six steals in those two wins too. Yeah. I can't get enough of watching Terrence Brown play. He's just getting better and better. That's a foundational piece for, for Castleberry right there. Yeah. There were a lot of question marks about who would be that off the ball guard. That's going to fill the role of Grant Singleton, right? Everyone talked about, you know, Dimitri Roberts and, you know, what's going to happen there. But Grant Singleton, his great shot making was a big question mark. And they had a number of questions. You know, they had a number of guys that were going to come in and try to fill that that two spot for FDU. And Terrence Brown, middle of the year, just stepped up and he has not given up the role at all. He's going to be an all-conference, uh, all-rookie team guy for sure. And uh, he's playing with a lot of confidence right now. Let's give a shout out, by the way, to Jameel Morris who had not played since early January, comes in on Saturday against PA in a close game at the end of the first half, immediately scores eight points, hits a pair of threes, has a pretty, uh, has a really good game off the bench for them. And it just shows you when your time comes, you've got to be ready to answer the call. Yeah. And then, you know, Devante Jameson is kind of, he's been in a rut of late, but he played 15 valuable minutes for Jack Castleberry on uh, on Saturday, had five points, five efficient points. I think he's going to start to get more and more into the rotation once again. You know, Braden Reynolds is a defensive first guard. You know, Hero Bligans had his moments. So there's a lot of good pieces on this team, not just the guys like Sean Moore, Emmanuel, and Almanor, and also Terrence Brown. They got some guys that really solidify that second unit. Absolutely. Almanor, just to point out, he scored a thousand point. Congrats to Ansley. He's the NEC co-player of the week this week. FDU on the upswing. Now let's turn our attention to, uh, let's go to Syracuse and Lemoyne. Lemoyne had lost three of four, but there they go again on Thursday, taking on Central Connecticut, looking for the sweep, and they pull out the close game in overtime, go on to beat Stonehill, uh, win two at home. They are also in the mix, seven and five, uh, heading into their final four games of the season. Yeah, there's nothing like home cooking for an eight champions team. And, 
you do not want to play Lemoyne in the first round of the NEC tournament. So, you know, they definitely, those Dolphins definitely want to get that matchup, that either, you know, third seed or fourth seed in the first round of the NEC tournament so they could play up in Syracuse and, and require someone to travel all the way up there because they're really tough at home. And I mean, against Central Connecticut, what a game. Kai Cleary, 21 points, 11 rebounds, but he hit two big time clutch shots. I mean, that shot over Amos in regulation, Amos did everything he could defensively. Cleary just hit a really good shot, you know, about 20, I don't know, 21, 22 feet from the basket to tie that game at 60 deep in regulation. And then they're down one in overtime. And he somehow hits a fadeaway jumper in the corner over Jaden Brown. And that was also a very high uh, you know, degree of difficulty for that shot. So it really pays off when you have a graduate senior like Kai Clear. We've talked about this in the podcast before, right? To have a guy yeah. who could score like that, who can make tough mid-range buckets when you need a guy, when the shot clock's going down, or you need to score late in the game to get you up a possession or tie it. Um, it's just so critical to have a guy like Cleary. Yeah, those were NBA-level makes he's he's doing there that fade away from the baseline is kobe-ish kobe-ish jordan-ish like you could jordan-esque you could say what you want but there's not many players that have come through here that can take that shot with confidence and, and when when it goes up in the air you say to yourself oh he's gonna make that yeah and kobe bryant was his hero growing up right and he's done a wonderful job emulating kobe bryant because he looks like kobe bryant he, he swings <laughs> the leg out we talked about this when we interviewed him yep. right he swings that leg out in his jumper and it, it looks it's it's so aesthetically pleasing uh even more pleasing though i'm sure to nate champion is the ball goes in a lot of the time correct now lemoyne's been getting a lot of help so you have of course luke sutherland has been on a nice rolls of late doing it inside and outside Isaiah Salter has upped his his game in recent weeks. Now you're getting A.J. Dantzler, the freshman, yeah. giving them some good minutes and some big buckets. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's got had 14, 13, and 8 in the last three games, uh, you know, and two of those are victories. Um, another freshman who is emerging for sure. Um, I mean, they they have they have a lot of options. They have a lot of shot makers, but Dantzler gives them a guy who could actually finish off the bounce a little bit. He's got that quickness to his game, so – just kind of compliments Sutherland and and Cleary and and you know those McClure and those types of players. Um, they have a whole assortment of offensive weapons, and it's definitely valuable to have coming into February and March. Also, looking at the top of the standings, let's talk a little bit about Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart has a bye Thursday. They have to walk into Wagner on Saturday, a tough place to play. And Sacred Heart has really struggled on the road in league play this year, but they do it. They come away with a 63 to 53 win. That was a huge win for Anthony Latina and the Pioneers. It definitely was not pretty. Uh, it wasn't pretty to watch, but they defended well enough to hold Wagner 32% from two, 33% from three. They limited the Seahawks to just three fast break points, which is really important because kind of containing Melvin Council when he's in the open floor is critical. They got back in transition D and did just that. And uh, we haven't really brought his name up much throughout the year, but Kyle McGee really, it really has played yep. well for the pioneers of late. He's, he's been that graduate senior, that heady high IQ veteran that Anthony Latina needed. He wanted McGee to come in and kind of help him in late game situations and kind of help them be a little tougher in the late game. And I mean, he's, he's keeping them afloat right now, keeping them in the race for that three seed. His efficiency's spiked over the last six games, and you know he's averaging 11 a game in the last three. 
uh, including a game high 17 against Wagner. And, you know, he also chips in six rebounds, three steals, two assists. He's a do everything guard. He, he kind of him and Joey Riley complement each other really well. You throw in Brandon McGuire, Brendan McGuire, who also has a unique game as kind of a point forward. So they got a lot of uniqueness in that in that backcourt. McGee's certainly helped them a lot, and they're going to need McGee for the stretch run for sure. In the uh, towards the end of that game, we saw Nico Gallet emerge. Uh, did not score in the first half. Gets all nine of his points in the second half. A couple of huge shots down the stretch and he did it yeah. on the boards and on defense as well. Yeah. He made that circus circus finish, uh, I think to put Sacred Heart up 59 51, which essentially iced the game at that point, but he's such a invaluable player. He's, you know, he's a, he's a fourth year guy. He's really athletic. He does a lot of unique things for a four man. And for him, to, he's a great rebounder at his spot. Um, he's going to rebound the ball. He's going to push it up the floor. He can occasionally make a three, which he did at Wagner on in that second half. And uh, he's a really good finisher too. We talk about guys like Cleary and Bud Clark who could finish in isolation. Nico is just like that too. He, you know, Gallat could definitely finish late in the shot clock. He's had his fair share of, you know, fadeaway jumpers or tough takes in the post. And uh, he's a guy that, you know, he needs to play really well. Joey Riley needs to play well. We mentioned McGee, Brendan McGuire. I mean, they have a bunch of guys. Aiden Carpenter came back from the flu last week. So they're they're also dangerous as well. You definitely want them. You don't want them at the, um, at the pit center at home in the NEC tournament. So teams are going to be fighting against that. That's a huge game. FDU at Sacred Heart next Thursday. Yeah, there's two big FDU games this week at Sacred Heart Thursday at Lemoyne Saturday. So that that clutch, that coffee clutch of teams that are right there in the middle right now, hanging out together. Maybe we'll start to see. Hopefully, we'll start to see some separation as we head into the into the final week. And look, you know, um, even the teams at towards the bottom can be dangerous. So as we've learned this year. Um, Seven teams are in, Merrimack Central, FDU, Sacred Heart, LeMoyne, Wagner, and LIU clinched this past week. Only one spot left, SFU and Stonehill. SFU is two games ahead with three to play. So they're clearly in the driver's seat. Their magic number is two, and they actually play each other on Saturday. So if it's if St. Francis is not able to clinch on Thursday, a win over Stonehill would clinch that final spot on Saturday. Yeah, that'd be a fun one, a must-win game for Stonehill. It would basically be like an early playoff game, right? You, you win and you you continue your season. If you lose, you know, you probably have one game left, and that's it. It's, it is, you know, you look at the Stonehill's results, and boy, they are just competitive in nearly every game this year. I mean, right there. I'm looking at the last few weeks, losses by 3, 5, 9, 3, and 8. Can't get over the hump, but boy, they they put some scares into some teams. And we saw it with Merrimack last week that they had them, you know, right. They was there for the taking in the final couple of minutes. Yeah, I feel for Chris Krause. It's been a tough year. I mean, his team was decimated with injuries for the first half of the year. They finally got healthy, um, but it's taken his team a while to kind of gel and play with chemistry. And uh, he's gotten a lot of inconsistency of his guys. That Collectively, it's a really talented group and they could pick off anyone any given night as we, we saw against Merrimack. I mean, they were right there against Merrimack, up five with about two minutes left. And then credit the Warriors, their defense just shut Stonehill down. They forced him into some really tough, like long-range jumpers at the end of the shot clock. And, you know, Bud Clark found a way to win that game. But, um, yeah, Stonehill has been a tough year for Chris. But, uh, you know, they're they're much better than their record indicates.
Ryan, I want to give some appreciation now to a couple of players, starting with Wagner's Melvin Council Jr. Clutch with the ball in his hands at the end of the game on Thursday in overtime. Banks in a runner with a couple seconds left to beat SFU. He's one of the best scorers in the league. And if he if he's going downhill, whether it's in the mid-range or in transition or just getting to the rim in the half court, he is lethal. He's one of the best scorers in the in the league. And uh, we saw that against St. Francis. And how about Eli Wilborn? Just putting up numbers game after game. He's now the rebounding leader in the league. He's in the top three in blocks. He's really had an incredible season. Leads the league in double-doubles. What... When you look at him now, we talked about him earlier in the year. Where do you put his upside when you look at some of the other really uh, good young bigs the NEC has had in your time covering the conference? I mean, you, you think about, I think he's more talented offensive player, but you think about Josh Nebo at St. Francis. You know, Nebo had a pretty good freshman year, but then had that defensive player of the year type of year. Um, as a sophomore, led the league in blocks, I think. And, you know, Eli is certainly trending towards that. But Eli is a really talented offensive player, you know, despite the two losses this weekend. He had 18 and 16 in those two. And uh, he's really good in the post. He he could run the floor. He's athletic for his size. He's in the top 75 in the country in block rate, um, in, you know, top 100 in offensive rebounding rate. You just cannot keep him off the glass and off the low block. He's just that dynamic he's got such a wonderful blend of quickness and athleticism but also toughness and brute right i mean it's, it's a perfect it's a perfect combination and yeah his upside is immense he has player of the year potential down the road without a doubt i, I have no doubt about that given his all-around game on both ends of the floor agreed last player i wanted to talk about was tana copa on liu he has hit some big shots this year he has seemingly developed into his role and they do a really good job, LIU, at finding those uh, gaps in the defense to open him up for good looks. Yeah, he's a great three-point shooter. It was kind of difficult for him early in the early going, but now shooting 39% in league play from deep and also shooting 49% from two in league play as well. So he's using that 6-6 frame of his to his advantage in the mid-range game as well. But yeah, you know, Ty Strickland and Terrell just came back from injury. They're great slashing, getting into the paint and kicking out. And that's the perfect compliment for Copa. Copa could just kind of sit there in the corner, sit there on the wing, wait for one of his slashers to feed him the ball, and he'll just hit an open catch and shoot three all day. All right, that was a lot to chew on. Now let's go to our NEC open mic, where we'll be joined by guest Ansley Almanor of FDU. It's now time for our NEC open mic, and we welcome in FDU junior forward Ansley Almanor. Ansley, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me today, man. All right, let's talk about your week uh, last week. And specifically, I wanted to talk about your game on Saturday, a 93-74 win over SFU. You caught fire in this game. You start, you made your first three jumpers, wound up hitting five threes, and you finished eight for 11 from the field. Was it one of those games where you kind of knew right off the bat that, that things were going to be uh, falling for you in this one? Yeah, I had my my first shot was pretty contested, and then when I when I felt the season going, I'm like, oh, it might be a good night tonight. And the next couple started going in and stuff, but uh, unluckily for me, I got into foul trouble, so I wasn't even able to, you know, really do as much as I wanted to. But you know, I can't have everything. Twenty one points in twenty one minutes, nothing to sneeze at, right there. Yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> 
Ansley, you've been so efficient and consistent through your three years at FDU, and that's impressive to me because you've had three different head coaches each each year. I know you've always been a great knockdown shooter. You've done that since you set foot, um, you know, at FDU. But what's one thing in your game that you've really improved upon going from back from freshman year to now? I uh, just like playing more off of closeouts, getting downhill, getting into the paint and the in-between areas, being able to make shots in that, those areas, having good touch around the rim. You know, I think that's something I really improved on since getting here. Yeah, so I mentioned the three head coaches, Ansley. Uh, compare and contrast Tobin and Jack for me because, you know, you, you get Tobin, you know, it's a four-win team. You know, he comes in from St. Thomas Aquinas and, you know, revamps the roster. You know, obviously you had – you know, Grant and Dimitri come onto the team. And, and of course, Sean, you know, as you guys call him fuzz and you guys had great success, you know, running up tempo pressing, but now what's been the biggest difference between going from Tobin to Jack? I know Jack was an assistant under Tobin. So it's kind of been a supposedly a seamless transition, but compare and contrast those two guys for me. Uh, like system wise, it's not really that different. You could basically run the same, same system, you know, same offense type of thing. Defensively, we're still full court pressing, but personality wise, they're pretty, pretty different. You know, Tobin's more like up tempo, a lot of energy, upbeat. Jack is more mellow, talk like he'll have a conversation with you, like quiet. He's like, you know, cool. But Tobin, he's really like up tempo, upbeat, and he really wants you if get it, get it done his way and get it done fast and stuff like that. You know. Tobin can get on you in practice, right? I've seen him before. Yeah, yeah, he definitely, <laughs> definitely could. But Jack could too, though. That's some things people don't know about Jack. Jack definitely could get on you during practice. All right, let's talk, Ansley, a little bit about the art of the three-point shot. You're making 42% of your threes in league play. Sat there watching the, the skills competition, the three-point shooting competition in the NBA over the weekend. Let me throw this at you. If you're out there, Let's just go. You're taking a hundred threes, twenty in each spot. No money balls. How many of those hundred unguarded are you gonna make in that session? Uh, twenty. Uh, I feel like I'll make like over eighty. I think eighty is like probably the minimum I'll make. I'll make over eighty. That's not bad. That's yeah. not bad. Eighty. Is anybody else on the team doing better? Uh, no, I don't think anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's move on to your team. Big overtime win over LIU. You've had a couple of OT wins, a couple of very close victories this year. How how much is your experience and this team's experience over the last two years playing in big games? Obviously, last year we know what you played in the NCAA, um, the NEC title game. You went on to play win NCA games. How how can your team lean on that experience to help you in close games this season? Uh, is we definitely definitely have been leaning on our experience towards that towards the end of these games because you know we have a lot of players who came from last year we've all been through this, these types of games before we've been through the tournament like you said like we all try to come together when it comes to these moments we trust each other we we know what it takes to get it done so I think we've definitely been leaning on that a lot recently because a lot of these games have been coming down to the wire Speaking of big games, I know Ryan interviewed you for a piece that's going to appear in the NEC tournament program this year. It's an oral history of your win over Purdue last year. And it's a fascinating, I've read the final article. It's a fascinating read. Ryan, you did a great job. And you and your teammates and your coaches and people associated with the game was, I get goosebumps reading it and thinking about it. What I want to ask you is when you look back on, on that experience last March, was what's 
Is there one singular moment, that one moment, whether it was in the game or after the game, that you always come back to and say and just go, wow, that that was the most memorable memorable thing from that time? Oh, one one singular moment. That <laughs> that's a that's a good question. You know, uh, I think uh, I think after <laughs> Meech got the block and then he headbutted the stanchion, I was like, oh wow, like, this. <laughs> we really got to win this game like it, this is crazy like it was just it was crazy like that was one moment that really stood out to me because me she's not like that tall or anything for him to get a block is when i knew it was over have you watched that game in full since then by yourself or with your teammates oh yeah we died. definitely have watched it again it's it's crazy to watch because like it's like in a moment like in a moment you don't even feel it you don't even realize it but like when you look back on it it's like wow that was we really did that you know amazing yeah. And you did, Anzo, you did a wonderful job fronting Zach Eady that entire game. You're giving up, what, eight inches, nine <laughs> pounds. Be honest, did you have to hit the ice bath after that one? Oh, yeah, we did. actually did have to take ice bath after that game. <laughs> he's, he's a big guy. He's, he's huge. He's, he's a big guy for sure. Yeah, you did a wonderful job uh, just fronting him and, and keeping him, you know, making him uncomfortable, of course. You know, and the double and the triple teams definitely helped too, but one thing I love about your game as well, you know, you came in as a freshman, you you have a smooth mid-range game. You know, you, you, could, you could get to your pull-up at any spot, you know, inside the arc. It's kind of a lost art these days. How were you able to develop that part of your game to a point where it's a weapon now? You know, was that something that you had in high school and you developed it over time? Take me to that kind of, you know, how, how you developed your mid-range game. Yeah, you know, it's something I did haven't, like, I've, I've had it for a long time, but I feel like my confidence over the years in taking that shot has just grown more and more, you know, just within more reps, more practice of it, you know, doing it more in, like, games and workouts and things like that, like, your confidence just grows, so I feel like my confidence just keeps on growing with that, just more reps, the more times you see it going in, it's just the more times you feel like you could do it, so I feel like that's just my confidence is just definitely grew when it came to my mid-range game. How much has your mid-range game helped in the fact that defenders need to, they can't stick you out on the three-point line the whole time if they're worried about you blowing by them? Yeah, you know, it definitely does help. You know, I'm starting to realize it. Like, I feel like it's harder for defenses to, like, really, like, pick which one, like, they want me to take. I feel like in my mid-range, I'm really, I can really, like you said, I feel like I'm really good in my mid-range too. So it's like, which one do you want to choose? When my three or my mid-range, you got to take pick your poison, I feel like, at a certain point. Yeah, so let's look. Analytic. Sorry, Ryan, quick, That's quick okay. analytic. Uh, Ansley's shooting 50% on his mid-range twos this year, which is an incredibly high number. So that is, you know, you you, you tackle close out Ansley and you're going to make him pay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I work on, you know, just the word. Nice. Ryan's always got the numbers, Ansley. <laughs> always. Uh, all right. Let's wrap this up. I want to talk. You have two weeks left. And bef before we actually started here, we were talking about it. Two weeks left in the season. You are seven and five. You're in a third place tie. I know it's important to secure a top four spot and host that first round game at the Bogota Bank Saving Center. You've won seven of 10 now, so you're on the right path. What has been clicking for your team and what do you do? What do you need to do over these next two weeks to put yourself in a position to make a run at the NEC championship? I feel like more recently we've been trying like putting full games together because earlier in the conference, I feel like we were having either a good half or a good segment, good, like four minutes, a good media four minutes, or like, you know, a good run or something like that. But I feel like now we're starting to put together full games of us playing our brand of basketball and just putting them together. Like last game, I feel like we played a good 40 minutes. We were able to 
build a lead and just continue to build and build and build. I feel like if we continue to build off what we played on last game and the game before, just continuing to play our basketball for the whole 40 minutes, I think we'll be in good shape. There you heard it from Ansley Almanor, the NEC co-player of the week on a dangerous FDU team as we enter the final stretch of the NEC regular season. Ansley, thanks for joining Ryan and myself today. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, we'll see you down the line. See you. Ryan, what a great chat with Ansley. He's a terrific interview. I, and we talked about how you interviewed him for this piece, but um, very insightful. Absolutely. Yeah, he's 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 a high IQ guy. And, uh, you know, he's making threes, making mid-range shots. He doesn't turn the ball over. He's a threat everywhere on the floor, and it just helps FDU space the floor out, especially when you have a five-man like him making shots. This week on NEC TV, it's actually the final regular season men's game of the year. CBS Sports Network this Sunday at noon, Spiro Sports Center, LIU visits Wagner. Yeah, a, a clash of styles, right? You have LIU who run, loves to run up and down the floor, play offensive basketball. You know, they want to get into the 80s with you. Wagner wants to do the opposite. They want to grind it down to like under, you know, under 65 possessions for the game. They want to make it a defensive battle. So for me, it's going to be, you know, how is the pace going to be? Is it going to favor LIU where they're going up and down the floor or is it going to favor Wagner? Um, it's going to be, you know, a fascinating matchup. You have, you know, Ty Strickland, you know, against Javi Escara. I assume they're going to put Escara on Strickland and Escara is one of the best defenders in the, in the league, I, I think, on the ball. And so how is he going to kind of bottle up Ty Strickland there? You got, you know, his counsel going to be on Tana Copa. We just mentioned him earlier, you know, kind of Wagner loves the limit three point attempts. Obviously Copa just kind of, he lives out there in the perimeter. So it's going to be a fun matchup compare and contrast between, you know, uh, Rod Strickland and Donald Copeland. Ryan, we packed a lot in this week. I'm so excited for these last two weeks of the season. It's going to, it's going down right to the end. And I'm working on my tiebreaker grids. It's 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 the it's the fun time of year. We're almost at March. I mean, let's go. Let's 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 get this tournament started. It's going to be fascinating because the race to the number three seed, I think, is going to be critical in this league because you you probably rather play Central Connecticut in the semis than Merrimack, right? You'd probably don't want to face Merrimack until the finals of the NEC tournament. No disrespect to Dietrich Gymnasium, the Blue Devils. They've had a great year, but. For me, you know, Sacred Heart, Lemoyne, FDU, and even Wagner to a degree, they're all they're all trying to get that three seed and get a home game. It's going to be fascinating the last couple of weeks. All right, there you have it. NEC on the Run podcast. We'll see you next week.